Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the interests and actions of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today is a true skate rat and a legendary figure of the Swedish skate scene. John Dahlquist is a skateboard teacher and the vice principal of Brigrietz High School in Malmö, Sweden. Brigrietz Gymnasium was founded in 2006 as the first ever skateboarding high school, offering students access to an amazing indoor skate park, skateboard culture lessons along with the rest of the more academic classes that they are required to attend to complete their high school diploma. The list of incredible skaters that went through Brigitte's speaks for itself. Sarah Merl, Oscar Rosenberg aka Oski, Didrik Galasso aka Deeds, Phil Wester, Heitor da Silva, to name a few. I had the opportunity to sit down with John to discuss all things Brigitte's and why skateboarding is a powerful educational tool. So here's my conversation with John Dahlquist, I hope you'll enjoy it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, thank you again. I'm really, I was looking forward very much to uh, talking to you. Uh, I was really surprised actually when you you, you reached out first uh, after checking out my um, interview with Patrick. And, uh, and I was actually just thinking a few days prior to your message that I wanted to reach out. So I was like, wow, okay, like, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. So yeah, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, chat with me about what you do at Hello, Brigitte. Thank you. It was actually after I've I've had uh, Patrick Odell as a guest at the school, and uh-huh. it's sort of sometimes I I see it as sort of part of my job to keep up with what's happening in skateboarding and sure and with that podcast I found it really interesting so I just wanted to it's so easy these days to just DM and and say you know thank you or well done or interesting yeah so uh, stars aligned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, and thank you. I, I'm uh, really, really stoked. And um, so, yeah, maybe to, to get us started, uh, can you tell me a little bit about, about yourself, about where you grew up and how you started skating? And we don't have to go too much in, in detail about that, but like just pretty much uh, what would brought you um, to skateboarding in the first place? Yeah, I guess to put me in a context or, or to understand what I'm doing now, you probably have to know a little bit about my my background because it all results in what I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. So John Dahlquist turning 45 in a couple of months and I started skateboarding when I was 10. So okay. that's late 80s. I think it was Christmas of 87. But it was right before the tech era when skateboarding mm-hmm. was still sort of new and not that many people skated. So we had to find find out about skateboarding ourselves. And then... Then my family moved down south in Sweden to close to Malmö, where I live now and have lived ever since. But in Malmö, there was a skate scene. But Sweden, probably like France, was really far, far away from the U.S. and where, where skateboarding happened. Mm-hmm. So we had to, I guess it was a school in DIY, but we didn't know it at the time. But we, you know, like everyone else, started making our own videos, building our own ramps. Mm-hmm. Um, yada yada but me and a, a bunch of my friends almost took that as far as we could by starting you know Brigree at Skate Park was started by by my group of friends and and uh, different magazines and my friend Martin who was into computers at an early stage started doing perhaps the first online magazine which gave me a platform to to write and something to shoot photos for. Not that I'm a photographer, but to be photographed for, like a platform to showcase what we were doing. And that mm-hmm. led to the whole DIY scene. And then with most people probably know my friend Pontus's story from going from Malmö to professional and then starting Polar from, from Malmö. Right. So that's just a mix. Most people have that story, but that's that's the mix that I come from. And okay. the skate park Brigriet in Malmö applied in 2005 for a permit to start a high school, which is uh, it's a pretty unique, internationally, it's a unique law that allows companies and NGOs to mm-hmm. apply for permits to start schools. 
Right, yeah. The skate park did that in 2005. Got the permit and mm. then hired two principals to start a high school and in some way involve uh, skateboarding in it. And uh, I was between jobs at the time. I'm a, I'm trained to be a social worker and I was oh, okay. in between uh, jobs at the time mm-hmm. and uh, uh, someone put me in contact with the two principals to sort of pick my brain as a skater and maybe a little bit as a social worker to see how it would be possible to incorporate skateboarding into a school setting to the Mm -hmm. curriculum, if you will. And at the end of the meeting, they offered me the job to build a subject around skateboarding. Yeah. But that that was a crash course in my... I mean, that was a really short version, but it, it gets really sickening, I think, to, to talk about how everyone started skating and how, how rough and tough it was in the beginning. So I hope that's context enough. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's great. And so, so you said you started skating in 87. And uh, but yeah. w- at, at what point would you say that Malmo kind of really exploded basically as a skate scene was was that already booming at when you started or did it come a little bit later or no 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 we we didn't have anything malmo is an industrial city right it was kind of poor high unemployment crime rates i think were up at the time usually how it is when it's poor Mm. and then in 2001 the city of malmo had a vision that uh, where the the industrial area was turning into this new modern living area. It was called Live Live 01, Live 2001. So they okay. started building in the industrial area where all the factories were, were shut down. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I'm sitting right now. That's where I live. But as part of that, they incorporated a skate park, Stoppelbedsparken, that you might have heard of. It's the, it's the biggest skate park in Malmö. It's a, a cement park, right? Uh, like uh, yeah. one of the largest in Europe, I heard. I heard or... Yeah, it's, it's really big. And it was uh, built on the initiative of uh, John Magnus and, and, and Briggery at the skate park. Mm-hmm. So that in combination with the uh, Quicksilver Bowl Riders and good weather in Malmö for once, just <laughs> got thousands and thousands of people to, to come to the event and uh, all of a sudden, skateboarding was this new hot thing that actually attracted a lot of people to Malmö. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, to the opening of the indoor skate park and the possibility to have big skate events like European Open. Do you remember that? Yes. That mm-hmm. traveled around and, and like people would would come to Malmö to, to skate the park that, that sort of have, have that effect too, that Malmö was a, was a place with a scene and hopefully our crew with uh, making magazines and getting coverage and, and, you know, skating had an impact too. Yeah, for sure. And you, you mentioned uh, Pontus at the beginning as well. He's been uh, also a big, uh, I mean, uh, as I told you, I, I, I first, uh, I think I first saw footage of Malmö that I remember of at least uh, through his video, the, his first video, The Strongest of the Strange. Yeah. It's one of my favorite videos of all time. Like it's a, it's a really kind of weird one, but it's a cool one yeah. as well. And uh, I actually just uh, had um, Scott Bourne on the show a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, he has a part in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of my favorite parts in the video and I was so stoked to, to get to talk to him and yeah. So, uh... Yeah. No. Strongest of the strange had a had an impact too. Of course, uh, I was really proud to be part of that video too. It was cool, mm-hmm. and it was through his uh, maybe Pontus's first experimental part of his life when he started doing, you know, things that were pretty out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was uh, that was cool. That was the first one, and then the second one was in search of the miraculous. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. A, a few years later. And that was all prior to Polar, I think. I think he started Polar later, maybe in 2011 or something like that. Yeah, who was still on Cliché, I think, for the first one, and then a free free agent free for agent. the second one. Yeah. And then it turned into Polar, I think, at the end of uh, In Search of the Miraculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want to hear a funny story about In Search of the Miraculous? Uh, Please. It, yeah. it almost didn't happen. The night that Pontus was done with the video 
Oh, this is, this is one of the most painful stories. The mm-hmm. night he was done, I helped him with the subtitles. There's a small part about the, the shipping area that turned into Stoppel. And I helped uh, with the subtitles to translate from Swedish to English. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finished it off Saturday night, it must have been, at his house. And we were just chilling, laid back, sitting there. My, I crossed my legs over the, the chair and then we were about to, to get up and go out and have a drink. Mm-hmm. And as I rose, my leg caught the hard drive cord and the hard oh, drive no. fell to the ground and broke. Oh my God. And, and started making this weird sound and the whole video was on that, that hard drive. Oh, shit. And I've never seen Pontus that silent. He was just, his face turned white. Oh yeah, I can imagine. As since it was a Saturday and stores weren't open on, on Sunday, I couldn't go buy a new hard drive for him until, you know, 24 hours later. And everything worked out, but it was some of the, you know, most nervous parts of my life, I think, those 24 hours. Yeah, no, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, my God. He did have a back out on, on his computer, but it was just that fear of what if five years of work just went to shit. Just vanished. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but Pontus was really cool about it. He didn't say a word, but I think he was pretty relieved when I delivered the new hard drive for him. Yeah. Do you guys still talk? Uh, I mean, did you, did you <laughs> yeah, say, yeah, stay yeah, friends no. after that? Or, <laughs> or is he still bummed about it? Or <laughs> No, no, no. It's it's good. It's more like, I don't, it's more like family than friendship almost. It's, uh, you can't, you know, I, um, it's hard to see that anything should really break that bond. Yeah. Well, thank God, uh, yeah, it was all good and the video did exist in the end, but uh, but yeah, so yeah, his videos have definitely shined some light on um, the Malmö skate scene. Yeah, for sure. So Brigvietz, how do you pronounce it properly, actually? Uh, how, how would you say it in Swedish? Brigeriet. Brigeriet. Yeah, okay. so it's the brewery. It's an old brewery. Yes, That's I think I read is. that somewhere. Yeah, okay. So the, the skate park was there a little bit prior to the school starting, right? Yeah, seven years before. So it opened in, in the fall of 1998. Okay. And so, but you waited until 2005 or six because as you said, there was this change in the law that made it possible to... Yeah, August of 2006 was when, when the school started. Right, okay. So it's been, so 15 years now? Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And yeah, congrats. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, thank it's you. De- definitely inspirational. And, um, and so what was your position when you first when when the school first started? Because now I know you're the vice principal and you're also a skateboard instructor. Is that the, the appropriate? Yeah, just teacher. Teacher, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was involved in the skate park from the beginning, so I had my foot inside the door already. But when it came to the school, I, I started building a curriculum around skateboarding. Mm-hmm. And and then in Swedish uh, schools, you have a school social worker. So part of my job was to was to be a social worker, too, mm-hmm. and uh, have uh, therapeutical conversations or help with, um, you know, paperwork that students might need or, or stuff like that. Until the school was fully built, then my, uh, because first it was only 50 students and then second year was 100 students and third year was the first full year, so 150, mm-hmm. but only about half of them are skaters. The rest have been different, uh, different profiles, but right now it's art, skateboarding, photography and film. In the beginning, it was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And then... At some point when I was established, I think the two principals offered me to, because I was there from the beginning too, they, they offered me the possibility to start the principal training program as a university program. And I think it was partly because I was already acting as, as a school leader because we built the school together, mm-hmm. but also maybe a way to just give me further education because I'm not a teacher. So just yeah. to, so that I, I learned more about the school system and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who did you, uh, who else was um, on board when the, first, the school first started? Who, who was uh, the rest of the team around you? It was just two principals, uh, me, uh, and then 
uh, film teacher, photo teacher, you know, Swedish math, English teacher. So it was, I can't remember how many we were, but not that many. But now we're up to 20 something teachers and administrators and, and mentors and school nurse and mm-hmm. social worker and stuff. So it's it's a legit school now. And I'm happy to say that we're we're pretty well renowned in the area for for giving a good education, whereas mm-hmm. in the beginning it was a joke. Because it was new, it was a, a new concept. and It was new, and even the local newspaper wrote this uh, comic strip about what a joke it was to, to put skateboarding in a high school. Mm-hmm. A high school is where you traditionally go to get a diploma and go on to university, which is still the, the aim. I don't sure. know what those kids like Ville... Oski, Hate, or Sarah, they, they, I mean, it's just a side effect that they became pro. That was never our intention. It was, that's on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also, n- not all students that come out of Brigades are become, become pro skaters. Like, uh, most of them will have different career paths and probably even go outside of skateboarding. Yeah, which is, I mean, the, the main focus here is to give all students a diploma so that they can go on to higher higher education but it's so amazing to see what happens a lot of students seem to thrive in that environment and become really good at different things Mm -hmm. and it's cool to see too in that it's almost like a you know when it boils something with the lid on pressure boiler yeah yeah. so so it's sort of like that sometimes when when skateboarding and other creative outlets just burst through the lid after a while and mm. i mean you've probably seen a few examples of of that like in magazines and stuff that you can sort of trace back to to the school yeah and that's that's cool to see but it's just as cool for me to see you know people have become architects or found themselves or or just had this platform or forum where they were allowed to get education and maybe feel safe at the same time there's actually plenty of stories of students that sort of hated school for the last nine years and then when they start gymnasium our school all of all of a sudden get this sense that maybe someone cares and they're taking their passion and what they think is important which is in the in my case skateboarding is taken seriously yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. that's a pretty powerful tool, and it turns out you can do a lot with that force, especially if you can direct it in the right direction. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and when I when I first heard about the school, I I just thought to myself that I, I was uh, I would have loved to do something like that when I was in high school. Um, so I've, I've, <laughs> I've always hated school. I was terrible at school. I was in a kind of difficult, not not difficult, but like a high level high school when I was uh, that at that age. So I had to work my ass off, and and I basically finished. Uh, I had my like what we call the baccalauréat in France, which mm-hmm. is like the diploma at the end of uh, of high school. And I was just burnt out. I was like so done with, and I and it was like okay, so now that's done. Now you have to study something and figure out what you're going to do with your life. And I was just exhausted and, and had you know worked my ass off learning so much shit that I don't even remember at all today that I haven't been useful at all in my life and it was just basically a very painful long process uh, so when I heard okay like this school teaches skateboarding but also all the rest of the more academic uh, classes and at the end you have students that come out of there motivated and they feel like they can thrive and, and just figure out what they're going to do with their lives much better than in the regular system basically yeah hope, hopefully that how it's, how it works yeah i mean what you just said that's what i hear from most guests and i'm super lucky to have a lot of people supporting the school from different interesting parts of skateboarding uh-huh. but they're all adults that come into the school and there's a big skate park in the middle of the school and and you go to school with with other skaters but then you got to keep in mind that these teenagers are one teenagers which is a really hard part of life yeah and also it's a skateboarding high school but they feel forced to go there either by their parents or by society and when you have that when you just have that little thing that feels like an obligation all of a sudden, some of the fun is taken away. 
So oh, yeah. I try to keep keep that in mind when I meet them and when I teach them and when when I see lack of motivation that it's kind of hard to do the same thing for 12 years and even though I try to you know do it differently or do it away in a way that suits them it's still graduation is sort of like getting out of prison too yeah <laughs> we're just trying to trying to be a good prison yeah <laughs> with, with good 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 transitions and and you know proper ledges and stuff <laughs> exactly i mean I, i would love to go to that prison for sure <laughs> you, you mentioned a few of the people of the, the famous like people that made it as pro skaters after coming out of Brigitte's, like you, you mentioned, um, Heitor, uh, Sarah yeah. Merle. Yeah, she was the first first student to ever turn pro. She started in 2006. Oh, okay, amazing. I didn't know she was the first, okay. Jakke Ovgren, the, the illustrator for Polar, he was the first batch too. Oh, he was there as well? Okay. Yeah. Awesome, yeah. And like Will, Will Wester, uh, what's his last name? Wester? Wester, Wester, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who skates for Polar, right? Yeah, yeah. He's amazing, by the way. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> amazing in all, every sense of the word. Yeah. And then Herman Steiny, who rides for real. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Simoni Saxon, pro for Sauer. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. I almost forget him too. Oh yeah, Carl Frederick Furley from Norway. He was one of the first instagram skaters he was super big on instagram for a while okay tau the filmer he makes the polar video right now he he works for polar but he does other projects too but he's like um, jamie platt and ville and oski's filmer okay but there the list goes on but Once I get started, it brings back so many great memories, but it's also <laughs> easy to forget when like, oh yeah, and this guy, and this guy. But one, one who's actually worth mentioning is uh, Stefan Osterheim from Norway. He had a bit of a career. He did good in Tampa Am uh, a while back and stuff, but he went back to Norway and uh, got an education as a, a pedagogical education. Oh, okay. And then took up skateboarding in a in a big way again, and now he's actually my colleague. So we teach skateboarding together. So oh, that's amazing! Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like a full, full circle. circle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he's uh, he's great. He's great as a teacher, but he's seriously one of the best skateboarders in the world when it comes to you know tech ledge stuff. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And Nando, Nando, of course, Fernando Bram. Fernando Bram. Yes, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Turn pro too. Yeah, and the deeds as well. Oh yeah, deeds, deeds. Dietrich, of course, uh, Galasso is that how? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing that I actually thought about before we started, when you got in contact, was one really great thing about being a, a teacher is that I get to meet them when they're teenagers and those formative years. It's so interesting. It's super hard. I gotta say, I I tried to do a good job, but I realized too that it's really hard to. So, you know, get anything across to uh, someone who's 17 and who's on a yeah. path to just kill it on a skateboard. But mm -hmm. it's kind of cool to meet them before they become their professional persona. Like he was Diedrich Galasso when he went to school. And then, then in his professional career, he became Deeds, sort of like Nando and Oski, almost like these superheroes like from Marvel who are Batman <laughs> and Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah that's a good comparison actually yeah <laughs> i actually uh, watched uh one of the little documentaries that was made on brigrets a few days ago um i don't remember which one it was but i, I saw footage of um of deeds uh, skating when he was a student at brigrets oh and, yeah uh, it was chris mulhern's uh, piece for the barracks That's right, exactly, yeah, and uh, and I was like, oh, that's Deez, like, I would have never recognized him, you know, he was all skinny, uh, he didn't have any tattoos. Young Dylan. Yeah, 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 exactly, it was funny. He was already an amazing skater, like, uh, I was uh, impressed by the footage, and, uh, but I, I think if I had seen the, just the images without knowing it was him, I, would have, I wouldn't have guessed, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, so plenty of uh, really amazing talent came out of that school, obviously. 
And so how, how do you uh, basically teach skateboarding? I heard in, I read in some interviews you did that it's, uh, it's actually hard uh, to, to teach something like that. How do you approach your role, basically? How do you guide your students? How do you accompany them on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, uh, what does that consist of? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Now, I'll try to break it down. And I want to say a couple of things and hopefully land in how to teach skateboarding. But before answering that question, and I get that question all the time, of course, and mm -hmm. I had to ask myself that question. That's why I first turned the job down when I was offered it because I didn't believe in institutionalizing skateboarding in that way and especially not teaching it. Mm -hmm. But then, then I started asking myself and teachers in general, like, how do you teach at all? Mm -hmm. how, how do you teach anyone anything? And there's a bunch of scholars in modern education who have ideas and theories about teaching. But listen to this. I'll read this out loud and see. If we want to su succeed in pushing a person towards a set goal, we have to find her where she is and start from that point. This is the secret to teaching. The teacher who does not understand this fools himself when he thinks he can help others. To teach, I have admittedly to understand more than the person I'm trying to teach, but first and foremost, I have to understand what he or she understands. If I cannot do this, I cannot teach. A real teacher starts with a humble approach to those who wants to, to learn, hence an understanding that teaching is not a will to rule but to serve. If I cannot do this, I can't help anyone. Mm, interesting. This was actually Kierkegaard. Søren Kierkegaard wrote this in 1859. And it's basically what all the scholars are struggling to write about today. Mm. But if Kierkegaard was a skater, he'd understand that skateboarding is the perfect subject to, for teaching. Because you, a lot of teachers say you, you have a... Well, math is usually the, the easiest example. You want everybody to learn equations. But if the person doesn't know how to count, it's super hard to know the next step. Whereas in skateboarding, everyone starts on their level trying to take the next step. Right. And if you teach everyone the same in math class or skate class, you're not going to go anywhere. You have to understand where that person starts and then go the next step together. And with skateboarding, it's so sick because you can actually do it together. Like if someone wants to do a trick and I'm done to do a trick, we can do it together. Mm -hmm. And that way we can learn from each other and be like, How, how's your foot placement? How's your, uh, how much speed do you, do you take? And all of a sudden someone else is teaching me how they're doing, especially if they land the trick before I do. And we all know that the best way to learn is to teach Mm -hmm. So there's so many little things in the skateboard subject that actually relates and works so much better than a lot of the other subjects traditionally. Mm -hmm. To keep it super short, Dylan William, one of the main scholars on, on teaching. You said he was like the Mark Gonzalez of teaching or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I read that somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I guess you could say. He said that good teachers find the, the student where they are and evaluate what the next step is. And then you try to take that next step together. It's called formative assessment. Yes, and that's okay. what, what most schools around the world are trying to do right now. And also individualized teaching, like to teach, well, it's basically the same, to help every student individually instead of teaching a whole class the same thing. And skateboarding by definition works that way it's it's the nature of skateboarding and mm -hmm. my aim is to if you learn that process of learning if you can if you can on a meta level understand that this is how i learn then you can take your skateboarding skills and use them in other walks of life too yeah that's my highest goal is to get the students to learn how they learn and then use that everywhere else optimize their learning process and make it more efficient basically i mean we've seen that on so many 
there's so many examples. Probably when you spoke to Scott Bourne, his approach to writing was probably the same as he had to skateboarding, and mm-hmm. the same with Patrick Wallner, like the whole the whole way of building it around that we just do do things and and learn as we go along and it adapts to whatever comes through our path. I think that's what attracted me to skateboarding in the first place when I was I started skating at 13 years old mm-hmm. and I, I liked it because there was it wasn't like very structured. You could skate in front of your house or in, on the street or go to a skate park or whatever, but there was just so much freedom. Yeah. I never had a teacher, so I just, you know, watched videos and figured out how to ollie. It took me a long time to actually, you know, get a proper ollie. But, uh, and, and I was never really a good skateboarder, but I've, I've always, like, loved it so much because it, it yeah. was just freedom, you know, this sense of freedom and just expressing myself and, and a creative outlet. Yeah, and those values are so important. And my biggest fear is to step on those values and make skateboarding something too uh, structured so that the the students lose their freedom. So early on, I decided that every assignment I give, I ask the students for permission first. Mm -hmm. I come up with the idea and then I say, do you think this is something you could learn from? Is it, does this seem like a good idea, something you want to do or would be down to do? Mm-hmm. And then if they say no, I always ask them to come up with something better. And no matter what I think about it, an idea that comes from someone who's also going to do the work is always better than my idea. But I yeah. think it's sort of like a safety security for me to make sure that I'm not stepping on someone's you know, integrity. And you have to be really respectful, too, because I work with their identity. You know, it's yeah. a part of in life where you are your, you know, if you are a skateboarder, that's that's so it defines you. Yeah. Yeah. It defines you. If I come in and say you're whack or, or <laughs> that stuff is bad, then you especially know, you at that really, age as well. Yeah. 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 You can hurt someone. Yeah. So you yeah. have to be. I have to be really respectful or I try to be, I, I don't know if I always am, but I, I try to think about that. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how you, um, how do students get into the school? Like, um, obviously they, they need to have a strong interest in skateboarding, but like, how do you, how, how do they apply? Are there exams or what are the requirements basically to enter Brigriets? Uh, apart from no. being, fr- uh, I mean, I, I guess you need to speak Swedish. Like, for example, uh, I don't think a student in France could come to, to Brigriets or? Yeah, that's, that's because of two things. One, you have to understand Swedish because all the teaching is in Swedish. So that means we can accept students from Norway, Denmark, Possibly Finland, but their school system is really different. We've only had one or two. Mm-hmm. And Iceland, because uh, it has worked because they've had relatives and, and known enough of the language. So you need to understand the language. And then second of all, there's a treaty between the Scan- Scandinavian countries. The allowance you get to apply for a school can be moved between the different countries. So we basically get paid for every student that we accept. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then the application is super simple. You apply as you would to any other high school. You're free to apply to any high school and whoever has the best grades out of the people who apply, get in first. Okay. And then there's a little bit of a different system. We don't have to go into that for Scandinavian students. They apply in a certain way, but that's more a treaty between our countries. So there's no audition or you can't be re- just really good at skating. Okay, yeah, that I was going to ask, uh, is there, is there a, like a minimum level of skateboarding? Uh, like no, a, no. How many boards I mean, can you ollie? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a skateboard teacher, my aim is for everyone to find their place in skateboarding, be it, you know, as a filmer, as a professional skater or someone who's just part of the group and and likes the environment mm-hmm. we don't try to value it that much and just use it to thrive as a person because if you read the swedish school law before passing grades and getting preparing for higher education it says that the aim of of the swedish school system on gymnasium level gymnasium is high school i should say yes mm-hmm it's just a weird word in English. Yeah. <laughs> is to prepare students for adult life 
and make them democratic citizens. Right. So we put put a really great emphasis on, you know, thriving as a person and and feeling good about yourself and and being in in an environment where you're allowed to fail and try new things. Mm. Again, skateboarding works perfectly in that environment because it's one of the few subjects where you don't get super frustrated when you fail a hundred times. You're used to it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, skaters do, and they, they, you know, there's tears and everything in, yeah, in, yeah. in class sometimes. But imagine when you do that equation and you don't figure it out the second time, you usually give up. And then my skate students, they're like, oh, I failed, but I think if I give it 200 more tries, I'm, ge- I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it. And it's like, if you could apply that to math class. To other things, yeah. Yeah. Anything would be possible. Yeah, that's actually a very strong, I think, uh, value of skateboarding is, uh, how do you say, persistence or... Yeah, grit. Because, yeah, it's just hard. It's, it's, uh, skateboarding is difficult. Just even doing an ollie is not that easy. Or just even standing on a board and not falling when you're really starting when you're a kid and whatever. But, uh... And the beauty, the beauty of getting cred for reaching the next step. I mean, in, in school, it's usually whoever gets the most point on the test is the best and the one that gets the most cred. Whereas in skateboarding, you, t- you can tell when someone's been struggling to land her, her, her first heel flip, which we had last week, the whole school gets super stoked. Like, did you hear about it last, <laughs> last week? She, she finally landed it. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, someone else like Oscar or someone does his first 540 and it's the same buzz. But on two, you know, people understand that it's just as hard for both of them. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so how do you, um, well, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, how do you um, approach every student uh, individually, basically? Because I understand that you're not really, it's not like you're in front of a classroom showing on a board, like how to do a kickflip or whatever. It's <laughs> more like you're, you're individually in a relationship with each student and trying yeah. to help them I guess, perfect their skateboarding or just get better and get more confident and maybe more creative? Well, first of all, I want to point out that what I'm saying here is what I'm trying to do. Most of the time I, I fail too. It's, it's, uh, I don't succeed the way I want to with reaching everyone and, and helping everyone to succeed. But it's more my, my philosophy I want to, I want to explain. Sure. It might sound arrogant otherwise, but <laughs> I tried to come up with, let's call it assignments that you can do individually. Like, for example, we, we work with SMART goals, uh, which is specific, measurable, accepted, realistic and time set goals, which is a basic way of working with goals. And then we tried that out during a class. And so everyone can set their own goal, depending on what they're what they want to learn next And mm-hmm. then we evaluate and see, what did I learn? Why didn't it work out? Why did it work out? What's my next step sort of thing? Mm-hmm. But then when you share a passion with the students and you're into the same thing and you nerd away on the, on the latest video and stuff, it tends to build really good relationships. And to be a teacher, I think you have to understand that you can't just walk into a classroom and say, I'm going to teach you. The students have to give you a mandate to teach. They have to trust you. Trust you, yeah, yeah. Or else you can't teach anyone anything. And I have a couple of things that I think stands out for me as a skateboard teacher. And it's one that I really, really care about the subject. I probably care a lot more than some of the students because it's it's who I am and, and I really believe in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But then the second thing is that students tend to get injured every once in a while. And you know, when, when the toughest guy who has attitude or whatever, you know, just trying to draw up the worst case scenario, when you take that person and you carry that student into the hospital and take care of him or her and help them, symbolically, it's like, yeah, I can trust John because I know that when I fall, he's there to, to carry me almost. Mm-hmm. symbolically but also if you if you act that way towards people you build that trust and relationship and i'm super lucky to have that with a lot of my students 
And when I have that, there's no limit to what we can do. Then I just keep pushing and pushing and pushing as much as I can until mm -hmm. graduation. And it's a really cool experiment to just see how how someone goes from from maybe not that motivated to motivated to trust, you know, to trusting and then maybe succeeding in things that he or she didn't think was possible from the beginning. And that's the greatest kick that a teacher can get. But it's all based on building strong relationships. And trust. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You also pointed out something that you wanted to uh, address, with, which was a low effective response or, or more <laughs> high effective response. I understand it's more, more or less the emotional response to a situation, whatever yeah. it is. What was the, basically uh, the idea behind that that you wanted to discuss? There's a trend in social work and teaching that when someone is, is emotionally you know, affected, you should approach that person with a low effective response. If someone is super angry, just be calm. Yeah. And in skateboarding and in my teaching, I like to do it the other way around sometimes and be like high effective response and be like, hell yeah, let's go. Let's, sorry, I can't curse, but. <laughs> no, you can. I mean, it's all good. It's all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just lighting that flame and be like, let's go, let's go right now. <laughs> and it's really relieving, especially with my, I sometimes have a lot of energy and just <laughs> to be able to just, you know, get the room to explode and sure. see see how that affects everyone and all of a sudden the session is just booming yeah especially yeah. with if you have a couple of skaters with adhd that you can get fired up you know great things can happen there's plenty of examples where where you know the session just blows up and people just go above Crazy. and beyond mm. yeah so sometimes it's just nice to give it your all instead of being all controlled and sit back and be too low effective if you really care and that I do. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, I um, exchanged some email, some uh, messages with uh, Daniel Stankovic that I hope oh. to get on the podcast as well. Yeah. And um, I asked him if he had a question for you. And uh, <laughs> I'm just going to read you what he told me. It's not really a question, but it's, it's kind of a question, but... Uh, so he said, John is a true inspiration. Uh, at his age, most just skate for fun or exercise, but he's still out there trying to stack clips like it's 1997 or something. <laughs> <laughs> What is it that keeps, him, that keeps driving him and motivating him to go as hard as he does? And you, yeah. you pretty much just, just touched on that about, you know, the energy and, and being very passionate still today at 45 about skateboarding pretty much uh, as you were 30 years ago. And yeah, how do you how do you keep that fire burning? Basically, how do you keep so? It's very selfish, but you know, spending time with these uh, teenagers who are also experts at what they do. You know, we might try to define skateboarding and tell tell them how it should be, or, or but they're the most active skaters, and mm -hmm. especially if you look at concentration of amount of skateboarders our school might be one of the most concentrated places in the world at a certain time where where the active skaters are doing active skateboarding mm -hmm. not industry stuff or but just pure skating it's a great privilege to get to be part of that crew in the sense that's just a fountain of youth mm -hmm. but i also think or i feel that i have an obligation to keep up with stuff and to be interested and to skateboard because if I didn't there's someone else who would do my job so much better than I do you wouldn't be as relevant basically yeah mm -hmm. I've been trying to quit this job for the last 12 years because I I thought I was just going to do three years and then turn it over to someone else when I had sort of a handbook on how to teach skateboarding and just hand it over to the next guy yeah But I'm still just scratching on the surface and there's new new people coming all the time. And it's still it's still interesting. And I'm lucky enough to have I mean, I have severe knee problems, but all in all, I can still hang and, oh, yeah. and skate actively. But the, the day I can't when I can't anymore, I'm, I'm going to hand over the torch. Mm. But it's still really fascinating to me and I'm still super stoked that I can do it. And it's, yeah, like I said, a little bit of a fountain of youth just to, to get to be in the mix. 
Yeah, no, it's super sick. And it's it's really inspiring. I'm sure lots of students must really look up to you and just watch you skate and, and, and just feel energized. Like, okay, I, I mean, I hope uh, I, I'll still be as motivated to step on a skateboard in 10 years from now. I, I don't know if I if I will be, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> Those are very kind words, but I, what I want to show is that skateboarding can lead to things like I want to be an example of that as a rider, as a principal, as a skater, as a maybe even, you know, what they view as an adult, mm -hmm. that you can be a, a, <laughs> a well-functioning adult, <laughs> <laughs> whatever that and, is, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and still, and still, you know, skateboard. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you've been running the school for, I mean, the school has been going on for 15 years. Yeah. I understand there's like three classes of 50 students. I mean, three, three different years. So 150 mm -hmm. students overall. And I, I'm sure there's been mostly boys, but we mentioned Sarah Merle at the beginning, who was actually the first pro out of that school. Very important role model yeah, in that sense. Absolutely. How is it looking today? Are you getting, are you seeing a bit more girls coming in or? Finally, it's been such a slow process. I mean, we've been trying to do what we can on, on our end and especially, you know, creating an, an environment where it's safe to be and, and everything. But skateboarding is a very conservative What's the what's the word? Is it a sport activity, or is it a activity? <laughs> Outlet. Thank you. Acti act activity. <laughs> Art form. Yeah. <laughs> as like walking on a minefield yeah exactly but finally we're seeing a change and it's it's more and more open and more and more girl supply and the brigade skate park has done a great deal too with with girls nights and, and stuff and the and the scene is really strong here in malma mm -hmm. and we can we can see how that reflects on the school too Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I hope there's uh, I mean I, I love seeing how open skateboarding is is becoming. Yeah, because it, it like in the late 90s or whatever, it was so like, uh, uh, how do you say, like clicky or, or just very full of rules. Everything yeah. was everything was legal, except the worst stupid things. Exactly. Which is the era where I grew up. Like that's that's still my view on on skateboarding in a, in a lot of ways that affected me strongly. And aesthetically, it was great. But yeah. otherwise, it was uh, kind of sketchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so it's it's cool. I I mean I love seeing uh, like just uh, how how open minded it's becoming and 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 just uh, tolerant and welcoming and 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 also just on skateboarding purely how creative it's become and and how it's um, yeah. There's not just one way of skating that's like um, cool. Uh, you can you can do pretty much whatever you want, whether it's street or bulls or doing just no complies and wall rides or whatever. Just everything is acceptable basically, and everything can be cool. And yeah, I really like that that area we're in. If my crew that I work with at all is representative for skateboarding in general, I don't know, but I'm always in awe of how smart they are, and you know, with the heart and values in the right place compared to where I was at that age. Yeah. So it's because uh, that's another question you get a lot, like, oh, the the youth of today, they're they're stupid or they mm -hmm. don't understand or this and that and it's like mm, they're pretty well off most of them yeah 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 like they're they're gonna be fine yeah <laughs> yeah the kids are all right yeah 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 for sure just to focus a bit again on the school um so there's obviously skate classes so to speak i mean mm -hmm. times that are dedicated to actual skating And how, how do you also bring skate culture within the school? Do you show them like old uh, videos from the 90s or stuff like that? Like, how do you basically educate about skate culture? In the first year, they're kind of small. They're only 15, 16 and they're used to school being school. Yeah. So before graduation, they're preparing to become, you know, independent adults. So I try to keep my teaching really tight in the beginning and then let go And then at the end, they work on their own projects that might be a video part or something where I'm not that involved. But in the beginning, we teach history, for example. Mm -hmm. 
And I go through 70s, 80s, 90s history and, and look at video parts here and there. Okay. And then we always make videos where the students get to, to skate as if it was the 70s, 80s, 90s. Oh, okay. Interesting. Up until recent, which is usually pretty fun. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But then I also teach a design class. And that's only for the skaters. So the, the, the other students take other classes at that time. But in that, we've been working together with uh, Nike one year and we worked with Stefan Janoski and oh. the students got to design, uh, redesign one of his shoes. And then he came in to give feedback on the work. Nice. And this year we're working with CHPO uh, brand, which, which is a Swedish um, watch brand. Mm -hmm. So they're actually pitching their ideas tomorrow as if it, as if they were a design company so they're working in different groups uh, and then uh, we're making a school watch via them mm -hmm. and so that's that's one way of just incorporating you know the skateboard industry or the culture a little bit yeah and then I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of people supporting the school who can come in and give guest lecturing. Like yeah, Mander, the guy that does all the graphics for Flip, has been in. Yakke, of course, who's mm -hmm. an old student. And like people from, from the industry. And we've had some heavy hitters too, like Tony Hawk, Bob Bernquist, Sean Malto, Ishad Ware, Johnny Wilson, wow. Brian Anderson when he came out as gay which was super amazing. Yeah, it was a um, yeah, historical moment, basically, in skate culture, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've built a, a lot around that, which is it's so great. Imagine like coming into high school and one of those people like Johnny Wilson, who's a, you know, someone who's really influential, is in your classroom yeah. answering all your questions. But now it's almost gone full circle. So I have all these former students who can come in and do the same thing, which is super powerful. Absolutely. Because the students can relate and be like, oh, I was actually, that person standing in front of me was sitting in my desk not that long ago. And it could be me in 10 years from now or something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So that, one, it gives me a lot of leverage because I, uh, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And it means you're doing your job well. <laughs> yeah. And two, it's really inspirational yeah. for both me and, and the students. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I'm trying to invite, in lack of a better word, reality into school and show the students that what they do in school actually holds for something or is worth something outside of school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like, because... Um, Basically, everybody grows up in a different era of skateboarding. Like you said, you, you grew up skating in the late 80s and, and early 90s. I started skating in 2000, so a bit later. And skateboarding was a bit more developed. Like the Tony Hawk Pro Skater games were coming out. And yeah. uh, my question is basically, uh, today we're in an era where skateboarding is everywhere. You know, Supreme yeah. is no longer a little skate shop in Manhattan. It's like this huge <laughs> global billion dollar company. And it was just in the, the Olympics last year and everything is on Instagram. So we're in a very, very different world of skateboarding, basically. Yeah. And so how do you see your students today come into the class, basically? And how do they react when you're like, oh, let's let's watch, uh, I don't know, Eastern Exposure or or like some old uh, obscure Plan B videos from the early 90s? Are, are they kind of like, no, fuck that shit? Or, or are they actually receptive <laughs> and, and like, yeah, sure, let's check this out? Or Very receptive. And... Uh... Yeah, I can tell that there's different approaches to, to skateboarding and I get emails all the time, especially from abroad, from parents who maybe have homeschooled their kids for us to sort of take care of them and, and make them into, you know, professional skaters. Right. Which is not how it works at all. Mm. But, you know, they're at an age too where they're most of all curious and that's a pretty good approach to have to anything. Yeah. So... Uh, It's rare. I mean, you get sometimes skate, uh, skaters who only skate one way and w who would never, you know, skate a bowl or a skate park. Or do, do hippie jumps or like obscure <laughs> yeah. tricks. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you have to be really, you know, that's a face. It's kind of cool to. Yeah, yeah. To really, it's rare in life that you really, really believe that strongly in something. But, you know fundamentalists you have to handle them with care 
Yeah. <laughs> the concept of classroom is something that I find really interesting. And in my class, the students come in every day when it's not winter time, and they're like, "Where are we going to go today?" Mm-hmm. Basically, what they're asking is, "Where are you taking us to learn new stuff today?" And I always have to come come up with something something new, and we go different places and travel by train and stuff. And it's it's kind of fascinating to me that students don't do that in other subjects. Why is that not you know the normal approach to history, for example? Yeah. Imagine if you had a history teacher who was like medieval times. We're going down to the castle downtown, or math. Math happens outside. You know what? What if the math teacher took his or her students to like home? We're gonna repaint this room. How much paint do we need? Or today we're going to the bank to ask for a loan and to look at interest. And I'm really stoked on how I get to use the whole city as a classroom.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, it's really grown on me the whole concept of a classroom. And to be honest, the school environment has looked the same since you know the mid eighteen hundreds. It's rooms with chairs、yeah. and tables and a bigger desk in the front. It's one of the worst places to learn stuff. It's really uninspiring, yeah, absolutely, and kind of boring. But I mean, we haven't come up with something. Better that works. I mean, there's pros and cons, and there's a lot of pros to that environment、mm-hmm. too. But it's not only the teachers who need to be progressive. A lot of students are really conservative too, because you're schooled in that system, and you're looking for you know forty minute classes with a test at the end that you get points on. And I just don't. I I try to be a a teacher who does not. You know, stand behind that system, but try to something different and see how it works. Yeah, and also like、uh, like you just mentioned, if you actually learn math、uh, or or any subject, history or just by being out and just、uh, doing things and seeing how they、uh, how they function in the in the real world outside、uh, rather、yeah. than just inside the classroom in theory. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. And my experience too is that I always keep thinking about Steve Olson when I when I think about this stuff. Is that every time I ask someone to come into into class to meet my students or to share their story, they almost always say yes because most people feel that you have an obligation to people getting education. Everyone has gone to school, and you have this obligation to share your story and to help others if you can. Yeah. And then I, in an interview I listened to with with Steve Olson and Alex Olson. Oh yeah, I think it was they went into the independent warehouse and、uh, took a bunch of stuff. And Alex said to his dad, "We we can't take this much." And、uh, Steve Olson said, "You know what? They fucking owe." <laughs> <laughs> and I. And sometimes I think about that—that that everyone has gone gone through the educational system. So, if I, as a teacher, ask someone to to help the next generation,、mm-hmm. they fucking oh. <laughs> so it's okay to at least ask, and I'm I'm super stoked that so many people say say yes and actually enjoy sharing, and it has a great impact on the students too. Yeah, absolutely. And actually,、uh, I did an interview not very long ago with、uh, Arnaud de Dieu、uh, at Shifty,、uh, Shifty School in Bordeaux,、mm-hmm. and he he told me about his visit at Brigriets and how how that really inspired him into creating Shifty School in Bordeaux, which wow, is pretty、cool. much、uh, pretty much like what you're doing, but not、uh, in high school. It's not in high school. It's、uh, it's like after graduating from high school. It's、uh, the it's、yeah. uh, he's doing like a bachelor and master's degree.、Mm-hmm. You seem to inspire other people to do similar schools or or、uh, create similar facilities for skaters to thrive. Basically, amazing. Are there other examples、um, than、uh, this one of Bordeaux that I just mentioned, or do you know of it, any other schools that might have、uh, opened since、uh, since you guys opened in two thousand six? The people in Bordeaux are doing such great things. We actually did a collab last year where my students got to do ads for their scene. Oh, nice, cool. Interesting. So we're trying to keep keep in contact, but yeah, there's there's a lot of NGOs and and、uh, other people that come by, and we try to. I always try to share as much as I can. 
but because this the school systems are very very different it's hard to to apply uh, something you know just take it out of the box and put it in the next box mm-hmm. but i actually had i was coaching the national team in china prior to the olympics for only a short period it was only a month but i went there because i wanted really wanted to try and see if my way of teaching could work in another context because I've only been in this little briggeriet box mm-hmm. for the last 15 years yeah. and that was really interesting to to try my methods on a totally different group who had a totally different approach to skateboarding sure absolutely how how did it go it was interesting i almost got fired the third day <laughs> Then once I made it past that, it worked. And I really learned that working with with relations and trust works. That was the receipt I got. Okay. But it was a bumpy road, to say the least. <laughs> I tried to work on an eye-to-eye level and try to learn together with my students and, and try to, you know, go, go into the learning process together. And in a skate session, that's so, so easy to do. But when I, in China, at the end of every day, ask the students what they learned today and what they needed from me to be a better teacher the next day than I was today, mm-hmm. like a small evaluation on the third day, they got really worried. And my assistant took me aside and said, they heard great things about you. And now they're really worried that you don't know how to do your job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's going on? He said, well, you're asking them what they learned and how you should do your job. Isn't that what a teacher knows already? And I realized that, you know, my approach was maybe I didn't take responsibility for my authority and my knowledge. So uh, with a little help from a good friend, Osa Beckström, a Swedish scholar on sports uh, education, she uh, wrote me a really sour email and was like, go out there and own your role instead of pretending to be this humble person who who no <laughs> one who no one respects. <laughs> be as arrogant <laughs> as possible. <laughs> so after that, I changed my my approach a little bit, and it it worked better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> interesting. But yeah, that was the closest thing I've I've ever come to actually, you know, applying my my methods or my my work onto someone else but i i try to share to different ngos and and projects as much as i can mm-hmm. and if anyone listens to this and wants my help please get in contact and invite me to wherever they are because people come to malmo all the time and visit and i'm like can i please just leave <laughs> and go, I want, go I want somewhere go, else yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> my fees are reasonable <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have two shots now. <laughs> well, I think we've covered uh, a lot, but uh, is there anything else you, yeah. you wanted to uh, to discuss, perhaps? Or, well, it feels like we've we've touched on everything and nothing. Yeah, I mean, we we could we could keep talking forever, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I just want to emphasize or say that to be a teacher and to have a voice in a time when young adults are the most vulnerable, you know, open to change and everything is a great privilege. And it's not a role that should, it's a role that should be taken seriously. And I love my work and I know that privilege and I try to make it as fun as possible, but I also understand the impact it can have. And, and that is that it is, first and foremost a very serious role that I'm that we as teachers are are given absolutely and um, I hate when people nag on the youth or anything because no matter what we think about them or how whack their style is or how bad they do pressure flips (laughs) or whatever it's still them. They are our material. They're the ones who are going to take over when we're gone. Exactly. So we just better do our best to prepare them as much as we can and share as much as we can. Yeah. It might sound pretentious, but that's what I really, really believe in when it comes to my work. Yeah. It looks like you have a great approach to all that. And uh, again, we mentioned all the great skaters that have come out of that school. And so you, you, 
definitely proven that you're doing your job well not just you but all, all the team at Brigitte's and so yeah it looks like uh, something's working for sure yeah and in the end what all we do is give them this platform and try to try to give them an environment in which they can learn stuff mm -hmm. but then the actual work is all on them absolutely yeah. that's it for my conversation with John Dalquist. If you want to learn more about Brigariets, I recommend you check out Phil Evans' little three-piece documentary on the school on Vimeo. Follow Brigariets on Instagram at Brigariets Gymnasium, follow John at Semester Skate, and keep an eye open for all the talent that has come out and will keep coming out of that amazing high school. Thank you for listening to this episode. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Boards.